My name is Dustin Zahn, and this is Trainwrecks. A couple things I want to point out before we get to this week's guest. Uh, People have been writing me in. I really appreciate it. Uh, You know, the words mean a lot to me, whether you're being really cool or really shitty. So keep it coming. This week's guest, a really good friend of mine. He's a great guy, always fun to talk to. You'll never really hear anybody say anything bad about him. I'm sure you could probably dig something up on YouTube comments. They're pretty brutal out there. But uh, it's the one and only Kyle Geiger. Kyle is also from the United States like me. He is originally from Fort Wayne, Indiana, but he made the move to Europe about a year after I did. And since then, he's been kind of, you know, trying to make it on the DJ circuit like a lot of us out here, and he's had the ups and downs, and he's one of those guys that's super humble and not afraid to really talk to you about it and tell you how it is and, you know, be pretty open and honest about everything good and bad that comes with it. So naturally, he's the perfect guest for the show. Um, It went on a little bit long, so I'm just going to break it into a couple different episodes this time around and uh, hopefully enjoy it. Thanks. Check, check, one, two. Check, Microphone, check. 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 Is this shit on? Just say all your friends' names real loud at the beginning. Kyle. Kevin. That's all I got. Yeah. Turn, Turn my headphones up. up. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I mean, we're, we're in a musical genre that is... Uh, we're we're not immune to criticism of doing the same tricks over and over again, but oh, that, that's that hip those hip hop tricks are just out of control. First order of business. Somebody wrote into the show, told me my choice of vodka was bullshit. Hey, I gave you this. This was not from that our one. Gift not that one. Um, Everybody's got their opinion. Honestly, uh, it's not like vodka is my first drink of choice. But uh, the one they recommended, which I can't pronounce, I'll try it out. Kyle gave me one for Christmas, and it's kind of tasty. It's got a vanilla. It's organic. But anyways. Hey, I just remembered something. The first time I met you, I kind of thought you were a dick. Yeah, you know, you you went into this story. (laughs) Tell the public, like, I don't recall... I don't recall this story at all, but Kyle claims that I was kind of a giant asshole and I blew him off the first time we ever met. He did blow me off because he... So we were outside of St. Andrew's Hall. First time I... Three? First time I had ever heard Speedy J, I believe. And it For was... For a lot of people in the States, that was kind was of the first time. insane. He had... Uh, I know that he had problems getting his... Um, getting his gear through customs. So I think he uh, they made an a, agreement that they would provide all of his gear, and he was using some kind of Yamaha sampler. SU-700. Yes, and he had two of them in his rider, and they were having a lot of trouble fulfilling this. Um, so there was, a, there was this talk that he wasn't going to play, and they had the Burst Audio sound system. Um, and I just know, just to put it into context with this guy, this guy was a super famous uh, sound guy for all parties in the Midwest. I think he's, con- uh, they're Can- it's a Canadian company. 
Could and be, yeah, a I'm friend not sure. of mine, a friend of mine wanted to have Burst Audio sound at his party. And he called the phone number on Burst Audio's web. I don't even know if they had a website back then, if they got just the number from somebody. And he answered sure. the phone. He said, hey, this is Mike. I don't play for drugs, and you probably can't afford me. How can I help you? It's <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like, I like this. I, I wish he got big enough to where he, there was a billboard that he would have posted in Detroit and it said that or something. <laughs> But anyways, going back to the Speedy J party, there it was after everything winded down, wound down at what was it? They closed at like two, two or something. Yeah. yeah. And I saw Dustin and and the funny thing is is I just knew there was still the attack people days. That was me and Ian Lehman, yeah. And so I approached Dustin, who's sitting across from me. And I did the classic, hey, I really like some of your music. And I couldn't have gotten a more cold response. It, <laughs> it was as cold as Minnesota in the peak of winter. <laughs> I mean, it was just bad. And I said, wow, I just gave this guy a compliment, a half-hearted compliment, mind you, but it's still a compliment. And he just said, oh, Thanks. And he looked off away and I said, what a dick. And then <laughs> years later, <laughs> I don't hold grudges. Uh, I don't even think about it. I just want to tell my things. side. Yeah. And then uh, came years later, I, we did a drum code release <clears throat> around the same point in time. When Adam relaunched the label. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and Dustin added me, wait for it. As a friend on MySpace. And, you know, my, my ego was a little bit higher uh, at that point. And, and I said, oh, who wants to be friends with me now on MySpace? <laughs> Next thing, you, 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 yeah, I'll accept you as a friend, but you're not getting in my top eight. And if I ever do switch my top eight to a top 16, you're not in it. But then we moved on to Facebook, and I never even had the chance to be in your top 16. No, we did some wall posts. We did some wall posts. So here's my part of the story, okay? Prior to the Speedy J show, I never saw Speedy J either, so I was pretty thrilled. And um, You looked thrilled outside. Uh, well, yeah, I'm getting to that. Okay. So, you know, the Speedy J show was first, and then Ian and I were set to do a live set at 6 in the morning uh, in an in abandoned uh, mental institution. If you're curious about that set, it's actually on the internet. Um, just Google it. Uh, they attack people at compute. Anyway, um, I had a laptop with me, and Ian convinced me to uh, smoke a bunch of weed in the back of this van with a guy in Greek Town, and so I did it. You know, prior to this <laughs> Speedy J show, <laughs> and then of course I forgot my laptop in the van. And I didn't know that at the time until I got to the Speedy J show and started freaking out because it was basically a brand new laptop. And uh, one of the guys that we were with, David Bitterman, he goes, oh, yeah, I know the dude. It's cool. Your laptop's fine, but it's on the way to Ann Arbor. And I started flipping out because Ann Arbor is, what, 45 minutes, an hour from Detroit. And so while I enjoyed myself at the speedy j show i was kind of sitting there wondering the whole time like what happened to my fourteen hundred dollar laptop 
And he assured me that immediately after the Speedy J show and after bar close in Ann Arbor that my laptop would come back to me. So at that point, I was not really in a social or party mood. I was just in the, I need my laptop back because I'm, at at that time, I think I was 19 and getting another $1,400 together again for another laptop was just never going to happen. No, it, it's bad when bad things happen to laptops. But I always wonder, like, how do people lose, lose their like you you forgot it in a in a in a van or a well, taxi? How did I lose it? The yeah. chronic. Um, um, okay. I mean, that's all it takes sometimes. But it was it was medical marijuana, right? It, it, it was, was legal, of course. Yeah, you know. in, in Michigan, it's you can use it for sure. medicinal purposes. Yeah, you have anxiety, acute anxiety. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll put you in contact with the doctor, and and I'm sure they'll they'll be able to that prescribe would be great. you some. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. What else are you going to complain about? I don't have much to complain. We haven't really complained about anything, have we? No, not Other really. Other than you being a dick like 10 years ago. I've I've come back on that and uh I've rectified the situation. Yeah. You I should have I should have aired that dirty laundry on Facebook before we met. You would have got some more and followers. Then you could have you could have come back with a like a statement from the the Zon management team sure. which well, is listen. Zon you know, we could both use a little publicity right now. Let's just bring this shit to Facebook after this interview. Well, it does work. You've recently done, was it two or three closing sets in the last six months over at Burkhine, for example? Uh, or, uh, two in the last year. Okay. Don't want um, to overinflate. No, I just yeah. I couldn't remember. Yeah. But, uh, I mean... Tell us about that. I mean, for me, it's like one of the, in my opinion, best slots and best gigs you can do. Um, I mean, h- how are you feeling about the the closing slots? Yeah, it's uh, there's uh, there's no question that there is in my. I mean, call me close minded, but there is just no better. There's no better club or time slot to play than that time slot um and 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 after it's done you're kind of like i remember i I was watching this i think it was like a ted talk or something uh and it it was this author who had a really famous book come out pretty early in their career and she the whole talk was her talking about embracing the reality that she might have already seen the peak of the the biggest okay. triumph of her it career. happened immediately yeah, yeah yeah and um that's kind of after after a set like that you're kind of like i don't think that it's possible to top this i, yeah. I don't i don't know i don't know if it is i mean i haven't experienced every gig in every place uh so maybe it is but right now it just seems very difficult to top yeah that the the length of time the 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 crowd uh the patience of the crowd i mean the the one of those that's the key factor really one of those two times i would have to say the first like the first 
hour, I felt kind of lost. You know, it was just I had to get into this uh, the right headspace. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and I just kept I kept looking up, and I'm like, I'm gonna lose this crowd. I'm gonna lose this crowd. I'm gonna lose this crowd, and they just stayed. And then you kind of develop. It's kind of like the relationships where you're like, yeah, like it's frustrating, but man, we've been through a lot together. So let's yeah. let's go through it till the end. And so, yeah, it's just, I mean, I could talk about it for, for days. I would say that that would be one of the, not just, not just with techno or DJing, but one of the best experiences of my life. Well, let's so. talk about it for 10 more minutes then. <laughs> um, I mean, cause I mean, the reality is, is it's like a lot of people that, want to come to Berlin, they're looking for, I guess, maybe some something like that experience. Maybe not necessarily at that club or with that kind of music, but they want that kind of connection or they want to have that moment. And a lot of clubs try to recreate that all around the planet, and they don't. And I think the reason, the, I mean, there's a lot of reasons, whether it's the sound, the venue, everything, those are all important details. Yeah. Yeah, or drinking or whatever. And, like, the thing is, is it's like... um People have to be willing to to give you that chance and, like you said, kind of go through it with you. Because if you are, um, you know, like let's say we're both playing together this weekend in France, for example, and we're doing a take set and one of us plays a record that just it's not working, right? In that, that can be like the longest three or four minutes of your life when you're mm -hmm. just like, I got to mix out of this quick because you all, you all of a sudden have this fear like, I'm going to lose the floor or this is going to screw up the flow for the next 15 minutes. I got to rebuild it. And that's a very big reality that yeah. happens quite a lot. Whereas if you're playing, let's say, it doesn't even have to be the closing set, but let's say the closing set at Burkheim, you can play a track that you know would maybe not work in a shorter set or it's maybe a bit more experimental or something. And you know that the people aren't going to take off. Now, if you do like 15 minutes of this and it just gets progressively worse, I've seen it thin out. It will for sure. But um, they're willing to give you a mulligan every once in a while. And yeah. that's kind of what it is necessary to build up that kind of uh, you know, a trust between the DJ and the crowd there. Well, let's do, let's just do, I'll just give two examples of, uh, experiences I've had in the, the techno world. One was pertaining to me as a DJ. The other was pertaining to another DJ. Um, one time I was playing in, uh, I think it was Zurich and this, uh, this guy was, Clearly like a hardcore raver um, and clearly wanted things about 10 BPM faster than I of was course. willing to to go. And um, it was five minutes into my set, mind you. And uh, for one reason or the other, I decided to start from scratch at the beginning of my set and build things up. And he uh, he was like really motioning harder, me faster. to like harder, faster. There will always be the guy that wants to make sure he lets you know what he wants. Yes. Yes. And he, he made it very clear. He actually, he went the distance and I'll tell you how he, um, he was doing that for like the first five minutes. And finally I just like made a joking gesture to just be patient. And 
five minutes later, he comes up with the cell phone, which normally means like, hey, do you have this track? And if you, they're really wanting to float your ego, it's one of your tracks, you know. Mm-hmm. That, it, this was neither of those scenarios. It was dein, schaun, dein sound is scheiße, and he walked out of the club right after that. And I said, oh, gosh, uh, Which you really know English how to make a your gun. sound is shit. Yeah, your sound is shit. And he walked out of the club. Um, and so let's take that experience uh, there and then compare it to a quote that I heard from somebody at Bergheim. Uh, this is the most priceless quote I've ever heard in the techno world. He said, I didn't like the first eight hours of Ben Clock's set, <laughs> but then it got really good. And I said, <laughs> my God, you, you didn't like the, you didn't like the first eight hours of somebody's set and you stay. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I mean, that, that really is. And, and it also is the understanding. It comes kind of with the understanding that it doesn't necessarily mean when you don't like, in this case, the first eight hours of somebody's set, it doesn't mean that they're playing bad. It doesn't mean that they're objectively playing bad. It just means that you guys are not connecting at that exactly. point. But to, I mean, to, to have, and this is one of the regulars, and he, uh, really enthusiastic guy, and he stayed for eight hours because he really likes... Mm-hmm. Really likes techno, techno, and he really likes Ben Cluck, yeah. and so he stayed with him, and that was uh, that was uh, that just shows what it is um, with people just staying for the long haul there. Totally, yeah. I mean, I, I I had the exact opposite. I forget where I was playing, but I played a three hour set, and at the end of it, this guy comes up to me and he goes, like, "Oh man." I loved the first 20 minutes of your set. <laughs> and I'm like, what about the other two and a half hours? You know what I mean? Like I, uh, but he was trying to give me a compliment. So God bless him. But yeah, Jesus, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, and sometimes, yourself. yeah, <laughs> but like, I mean, it doesn't, it give a little bit more credibility when someone is, I would rather uh, than be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I mean like, and sometimes there's a, uh, you always have to have the tension like Kanye West is honest too. And that doesn't go over too well, you know? Yeah. Um, he thinks it does, but I don't think the rest of the world does. And uh, I think there's a balance though between... Well, it's how that honesty is delivered too. Yes, of course. But yeah, sometimes I like it when someone's like, you know, the like the first part of your set was really not so good or something like that. But, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, we've got off on some tangents here. That's good. That's Uh, good. I think that it's nice in this format where you don't have to answer the same questions that are always, uh, there's kind of a, a stock set of 10 questions that you're going to get asked in a techno-esque interview, you know? and mm-hmm. Or not even the genre itself, but just uh, yeah. in music in, in general or in the DJ realm or whatever. Yeah. Um, which the thing is, is uh, 
the one thing that people like us forget is because we've been in this for so long. There's a lot of people that have just been in this for two or three years, one year, five years. So while we think if if we get an interview request today through email that says answer the 10 questions, what do you think of Tractor, mm -hmm. who's your favorite artist right now, blah, 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 you'd be like, oh, my God, not again. But the reality is there's a lot of people that aren't privy to that information because they – didn't care the last time you said it or they're new to the game. You know what yeah. I mean? So um, as much as those questions can be boring, they still have a place. I just wish that they were a little bit more um, structured towards the person that they address. You know what I mean? What, what, I, what I like is actually when there's a, a dynamic flow to the interview where it's, it's like, okay, here are the 10 questions that you plan on asking but let's have a conversation about these 10 questions like what we're doing so we can have side tangents. That's what I should that... do, but I just No, no, prepare. not and this, <laughs> I'm saying more like uh, when there's an actual interview I uh, that where maybe they would email the the five questions in advance uh and then you answer, you shoot back the answers. There's no chance for like no matter there's how no you answer it uh, they, there's no follow-up question to that yeah. with that type of format. Whereas here, you can kind of go down the different rabbit holes, mm -hmm. and if people, again, if people don't like what we're talking about, they can just fast forward it and see if it's more interesting yeah. ten minutes later. You know, I'm 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 really not offended if people fast forward through these podcasts. I do it all the time in other podcasts. I'm like. All right, I can tell this is going to go on for about five more minutes. I have no problem fast forwarding it. I'm you know not what you should out. do? We should all we should start a Kickstarter for this thing and do. You know how there's all these? Uh, there's now you can buy plays and not only plays on SoundCloud, you can buy comments on SoundCloud, and they're kind of stock comments. They'll be like, "Oh man, that drop," you know, or "killer kick," and we should just for fun, just maybe. Throw like $15 to it and do it for one of the podcasts that has no music. In I'll it. do it for this one. Yes. Let's do it <laughs> and see what, let's see how many comments we can buy with this and see if they talk about the drop or how sweet it is or they'll be like, you're amazing in all caps. And I dig it. <laughs> I like it. Follow I wonder, me back. I wonder if they have different packages, if they have like, Techno packages, podcast packages, where that maybe instead of all oh, that dropper, like oh man, like preach, you know. Yeah. So you have these. I mean, there's like this thing where people are paying for Facebook likes or SoundCloud plays and all of that, which I just don't see as effective. But then you have uh, these. Um, maybe more underhanded, not underhanded, but under the table, similar things where Which happens a, all the time. A lot of, a lot of these magazines, a lot of the publications are, they want, they'll do stories, but they want a fee, you know? Yeah. And, and you say, okay, like it's not, that's kind of the new payola, isn't it? I mean, where you, you have... That's always kind of been the case, though. I mean, what what they say, like, back in the day when Paul Oakenfold was a big deal, he owned, like, a majority of the publications or something, <laughs> supposedly. I don't know how factual that is, but that was supposedly why he ended up on all the covers and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I don't know, the, you know, but... 
Yeah, I don't either. Um, but it's it's this idea that I mean, when we get let's look at press photos. Find me one. Find me one press photo that hasn't been put through Photoshop. You know, I mean, if you really want to get down to it, if you really want to say, okay, we're, we're presenting us for who we are and no frills, it's like, yeah, like we all have press photos that are kind of, maybe I look a, a little bit younger than what I really am. Maybe I look a little more superheroish than what I really am. But like, it's this, it's this weird thing where you're having to navigate between, I mean, and we could go into the question of like, I think you sent me this funny article about like uh, studio engineers or something or like uh, that people. Sh it was an opinion column on some oh, area yeah, yeah. where they talked about how you should produce your own music. Um, and I, I agree with that. And there's uh, but at the same time, I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of energy that people spend um, on kind of protecting their little established place in techno and, and when like take the engineer thing, for example, um, I personally couldn't do it. Uh, cause it, like you said, it would be weird. Like kind of like you said, with posting stuff on Facebook, you would feel like you're talking to yourself. What, what do people, when, uh, they don't write their own tracks, what do they respond when someone comes up to them at the club and says, Hey, this track is by far my favorite track I've ever heard. And blah, blah, blah. Do, do you just yeah. wink and nod or do you, do you feel guilty? Do you feel insincere? Like Millie Vanilli had to give back a, yeah. a Grammy for, no, I mean, for not making the music or singing on the record that they said they sang on. I've wondered that too. It's like when you don't really put in the effort or well, let's not, I mean, some of them sit there and say, this is acceptable. This isn't whatever your level of effort is. Let's say you put in relatively zero or very, just a little bit. And someone comes up and tells you that like, they love your work. How can it's, it's really hard to sit there. I would imagine and genuinely feel good and be like, thanks. Like you've just been told you did a great job for work. You didn't actually do. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, but you think of like uh, Nirvana's Nevermind, for example. I was watching an interview with Butch Vig, and he really wanted Kurt Cobain to do this technique called double back vocals. Yeah. And Kurt Cobain was like vehemently opposed to this. He was, he said, it's cheating. It's, it's not, that's not really how I sound when I sing. And then he is, I think he said, but John Lennon did it. And he said, oh, well, if, if John Lennon did it, then do it. Yeah. I, yeah, it's not, it must not be really cheating. Cause I really like John Lennon and I mm -hmm. don't view John Lennon as uh, part of this system that I've boxed people into. Yeah. And so he did double back vocals on his most successful album. And so like with, with which this, was produced by another producer, mind you, I mean, granted they're yeah. all talented musicians, but, but their, I, their footprint is no. on like Butch Vig's footprint is on Nevermind and uh what's the other guy's name Steve uh can't re he did uh in utero um yeah well i mean i i i had this discussion on one of the recent podcasts and it's like because this exact topic came up with the engineers and um fact of the matter is is it's like 
there are producers behind every major rock or hip hop album, for example. Not just those genres, but we'll talk. We'll just use those two an example. And if it wasn't for those producers, those albums wouldn't be as amazing as they are. There's a reason why some uh, albums from your favorite bands or groups are better than their other albums, and because it's still the same musician, they still have the same skill. In yeah. fact, let's argue. Let's say like U2 is maybe one of the biggest bands in the world right now. Bias aside, whether you like them or not. That's a fact, and they've been together for, what, 40, almost 50 years or some shit now, yeah. right? So one could even argue, if they've done so many shows since then, that they might be maybe not as quick because they're a little bit older now. But at one point, let's say in the last 15 years, maybe at the peak of their talent, simply because they were so well rehearsed and they had it down to a science. Yeah, I think so. And... and, and did anybody say to Edge? They said, "Hey, your 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 guitar doesn't really yeah. sound like that. Your exactly. delay pedals making it do twice what exactly." You're... But the albums end up sucking. So, um, what does that come down to? It comes down to the fact that they're using different producers. You know what I'm saying? It's still the same musicians. Granted, you're in a different mindset, but the skill set is still there. Oh, it looks like we're having a shot. So the the skill set's still there. In fact, maybe even better, depending on the situation at hand. And but the albums are worse, and it's because there's a certain mind that's not in the process anymore. And that's why I think studio engineers can be okay sometimes. Post. Post. All right. Well, but think about this. So you you think about the engineer thing. Um. And with – I think I put my headphones on. No, it just felt funny. Um, with the engineer thing, you have a lot of people that say – they kind of use the argument. They say, well, I just work too hard and struggle too much getting – to make my own original music and to mix it on my own. As do I. I, yeah, I don't. I, mean, I see myself much more as a DJ naturally than a producer naturally, and so I struggle through the process too. And and that's that's by my choice that I that I do that. Um, but let's think about. Okay, so let's say that somehow we get this. Uh, we get the. We have a UN convention, and we make uh, engineering uh, tracks illegal. Yep. And. No longer can so-and-so have so-and-so write the music for them. It has to be them doing from start to finish. That the People are buying music because they like it. And so whether it's somebody that is, whether it's DJ X actually writing and producing the track and releasing it as DJ X, or it's DJ X who is paying DJ Y to do it for him and releasing it under the name DJ X, DJ Y is still making more waves than you are as a yeah. producer. So if you make this so that it's not acceptable, DJ Y then becomes just producing the same tracks under their own name and we're still out of a job. Totally, <laughs> so, yeah. So it's not I, – I think that there's a lot of this like – protectionist uh type of we put these like little uh 
we want to put these barriers to entry. Yeah. Uh, well, and the other part of it is we all there's there's different viewpoints too. Like you and I, uh, I think honestly, I think for Americans, most Americans, it's a lot different because you have to actively search out the music when you're younger. It's very niche in yeah, the states. Yeah. It becomes a passion, whereas Europe, it's a little bit more common or accepted. Yeah. Um. So, you know. We we both made the move from the United States to Europe. We basically gave up everything, walked away from our lifelong friends and family to take a stab at this, right? Yeah. So this is a serious deal to us. Like, we don't take it lightly. However, there are people, perhaps even friends of ours, that are genuinely good people that don't share the same uh, artistic uh, connection. Um, for them, it's kind of like, well... I just want to take a shot at like maybe trying to be able to travel the world and party on somebody else's dime and meet some chicks and, and play records. So they think, well, I don't care. I just want to have somebody make the music so I can get out and play, make some money, and then retire in, in five or six years. Not from maybe from uh, for life, but from music. So there's some people that purely see it as like a business opportunity. And then there's people like us who it's more of a – either an artistic vision or like a, just a strong passion where we, we yeah. see something more to it rather yeah. than just money. Yeah. So, I mean, that's always the, people are always saying, well, how long, how much longer do you think you'll be doing techno? And I, I would like to think that I'll think? always, I'll always do techno. I think, um, as long as I like techno still, I'll, I'll always do it. And this idea that, you have to be doing it vocationally to be really doing it. It's kind of a, a recent um, is a is a recent idea within probably the last. Uh, most people were doing uh, other jobs or whatever. They, they the idea of doing being an entertainer as a vocation and strictly as a vocation is i mean in in the scope of time yeah. is is a pretty new thing probably when within the last 100 years or something uh you didn't have the the amount of people that are able to do such a niche music i mean you take even like a club like Trezor or Bergheim let's think of the capacity of those places I think they're both around a Two thousand, I think. No, well, Berkheim's think... twelve with both rooms. I want to say Trezor. Trezor could definitely hold way more, but it, there's probably a public uh, cap on it. Yeah, so you number. you have places like these two clubs that are kind of the center of our universe, mm, like yeah. the the apex. And sure, you have like these big festivals and awakenings and stuff, but the stuff that's really defining the music that we're into is super small. Yeah, you know, and and the 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 market for this type of music is incredibly small. And the fact that this many people can have a career in the music, I mean, you're, you're struggling with, with all the, there's a lot of people like myself that are not, I haven't bought a Rolex in a really mm -hmm. long time. I don't, I, I can't disclose much more than that, but uh, yeah. Drove a Honda Civic. You don't have a watch on at all. I forgot right, man? my watch. You yeah. need a few bucks or what? I got a I got a uh, fossil watch for Christmas last year, but uh, then uh, somebody commented that it was so big, and so I thought maybe maybe I should get a new watch. Maybe maybe big. It is was. That, like, is it called an iPhone that you fit in your pocket? 
No, no, no. Yeah, that's that's the. Uh, yeah, it's funny because even when I have a watch, I still will check the time on my. Speaking phone. of, do you got to go home soon? Or are you all right? I'm good. Okay, I'm good. Dig this for a minute. Is that though. a hint? No, but uh, I mean, I can take a hint. I can sit here all night. It's up to you. You're the one that you know. You have a wife and stuff. Um, but so you were talking about how. You know, for example, these clubs are quite small. In our eyes, it's small. Twelve hundred people is a small, uh, well, relatively small crowd. But let's let's. Well, in at, our eyes, it's yeah. it's massive. Sure. But in the scope of all kinds of different mm-hmm. music, this is a very small yeah. niche market, isn't it? Well, I've I've been thinking a lot about um, the various forms of entertainment lately, and this is what I find interesting. Okay. Um, not even t- uh, talking techno here, but let's say all the genres of dance music, uh, even EDM included, maybe even especially EDM right now, you're uh, often playing in clubs that can fit anywhere from, let's say, 200 people to 2,000. That's There's a wide variety. Mm-hmm. Um, you have crowds. The average crowd size for a lot of clubs is between 500 and 1,000 people. There's bigger clubs. There's smaller clubs. But let's say like the clubs that... Uh, listeners might have heard of here on the show or resident advisor talking like Rex fabric, blah, 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 blah. All these places are in that size of that realm. Now, um, you know, if you're kind of, it depends. Everybody has an opinion of what being on a roll is. Some people think you got to do 10 gigs a month to be on a roll. Some people think four, you're happy just to have three or or whatever. But let's say you're just, you, you, you're a guy that's doing four gigs a month and, um, you know, you're you're playing for a crowd between 500 and 1,000 people, which is doable in techno music these days. Um, that's kind of a big thing. Whereas, and that's so if you do that across 12 months, that's 48 gigs a year. That's uh, that's kind of like a techno schedule, right? So now let's take like your typical rock bands. They probably go out on tour a couple times a year. Not like massive bands, but like let's say similar size bands that are sort of indie, sort of making it. Yeah, they do maybe half of that in gigs. Uh, generally, sometimes with smaller crowds. Uh, sometimes you know maybe only a couple hundred people, and that music has a wider reach. It's kind of impressive because you talk to some of these people. Like if you were to talk to, let's say, Adam Bear, the size of the crowds that he plays for every weekend, and he'll do twelve gigs a month or something. That's kind of incredible schedule. That's far more than like most rock bands will ever tour or anything. Yet. Uh, techno as a whole is still a very small niche crowd even though they're pulling bigger numbers you know or you have like stand-up guys who will stay in a city and do six shows over three days and Mm -hmm. uh you know for 50 people in the crowd but yet they have one million likes on uh twitter or whatever you know what i mean like just these numbers it's interesting to see how it fluctuates so much well and and you also have to think about how these people i think the 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 rock stars or not even the rock stars but the rock bands and the comedians you have to think about uh, the other the other week a friend of mine asked if i if i wanted to go to see kevin hart he was in berlin and i think he's pretty funny but uh, there's also a part of me that says like ah 60 bucks um like 
60 bucks for an hour to for, sit there yeah. yeah for an hour of comedy when really like a comedian is doing a routine that's going being repeated for a year at least you know yeah, maybe, they usually retired every year yeah yeah something like that and then you also have the full knowledge that that exact same routine will be available on youtube and, or netflix or whatever yeah, yeah so so the 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 way that that the the different options for how you consume a comedic routine or even a rock band are wider ranging. Like, a, yeah, there we we all have like these podcasts that we listen to and and whatnot. But when the day's done, that doesn't really do techno music justice, does it? Like uh, a podcast, you're never gonna say I would go see Adam Bear tonight in Berlin, but I just heard him on Drum Code Radio this week so it doesn't it, well there's, there's some people that think that but yeah, yeah no there's you can never argue the live element this isn't even a music thing like i'm not a major sports fan i keep up with it but there's nothing like going to a sports game and experiencing an arena the energy that happens in there it's the same as going to a party a club house party you name it bar and seeing your favorite band or dj there's an experience there if you go to like let's say the comedy cellar in new york uh, sure, you might get a drop-in from Dave Chappelle, who does only a half hour that will appear on a special someday. But maybe there's like 15 minutes of material that he's working out or saying shit that like, you know, if it showed up on the internet would just be game over for him. So it's like there's always going to be the excitement of seeing something live. But yes, sometimes uh, paying 60 bucks for a well-oiled and polished product for an hour is just a bit unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. So, and and I've I know I have friends that are in maybe kind of like your regional rock band, maybe even like national level, in between regional and national level. And sometimes I'll work up the courage to just just because we're both in a music industry, I'll ask what they what their fees are, you know, um, just out of curiosity and not nothing beyond that. And and they. The, what they tell me is is really crazy. I mean, because a lot of these bands, they're having to buy a van first off. Oh yeah, they're buying a van with. They're putting together money from maybe their last set of merchandise sales. They're they're buying a van. They're buying a trailer, and then they're they're going five deep, uh, taking turns driving the van. It just doesn't make sense to fly and when you're yeah. when you're a band, and then you're you're getting to the venue. And you're hoping to they, – they also do this um, – they don't do a lot of set fees. So they'll do – maybe they'll do like a guarantee to cover their travel costs. But then they'll also um, – they they'll, there's no guarantee that depends on how many people come in through the door. Yeah. And so sometimes these – Bands are are gone for three months total out of the year, and they don't come back with much. No, no, and and that's that is a huge difference. And then that explains a lot as to you know magnify that with with a a huge band who's a band that's got a DJ career now. Um, hmm. I think uh, Martin Gore does some DJing. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you think of a Depeche Mode. I don't know how much these huge bands. I mean, they're filling the Olympic make Stadium. At least three hundred bucks, I'm guessing. I'm thinking so. I think even Martin Gore. I saw a, a photo he posted on Facebook or something, and uh, 
I think the amount of cables he has in his studio is worth more than my house. <laughs> but probably. But yeah, I mean, but but then you think of these bands that have been touring uh, in a bus for thirty years of their life, and they say, "Wait a minute, like I can show up and I can have a USB stick. I don't have to do sound checks." Oh, that's exactly what it is. I man. don't have to. I, I don't have to do any of these things. I don't even need to be a good DJ because people will yeah. come see. I and that's not me saying. I don't. I've never seen Martin Gore DJ, so I don't know what the what the story is there. But yeah, there's. It's a lot more that would make most bands. What bands have to go through? DJ, we're just spoiled. Is what it comes down to. We yeah, are super I mean, spoiled. We can tell. We can tell our like stories of the the hard times and maybe we uh, the whatever. I got put up in the Leland Hotel one time at in Detroit. That's a, oh, that's yeah, a podcast. That's a podcast in and of itself. I got pictures from that place. Wow. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's what I was actually gonna. I didn't want to cut you off. I'm notorious for kind of bitching about. Um, the travel part of touring, just because I've done it enough. I've got 18 years on the clock now. But it's all right and, because you have this like Wisconsin, Minnesota accent. So you just like, you know, a complaint never really sounds. When you sound like an idiot. Well, I don't know. It was okay. But uh, yeah, the food was okay at this restaurant, but it wasn't my thing. And the the party was good. I could have played a little bit better. but And you just like, it's kind of like a little bit relaxing when uh you, you but, just think yeah. you're from fargo or something i mean the, the thing is is it's like uh when you get to this point where let's say you put out a couple records like i did the i did plenty i was on the rave curious podcast and i went into stories about how i was traveling around with ian driving every weekend sleeping on floors and and shit like that like i've done that part i don't want to go back to it um so I, i've earned my stripes but when you get to that point where you do get to start flying around and you're still like, oh, damn it, the flight's delayed, blah, 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 it's really easy to lose sight of that and you have to put it back in perspective because you could be in a rock band where you're five deep and everybody's ripping ass and you've been, <laughs> you haven't been home in, in two months. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the thing. A lot of these rock guys are getting the idea. They're like, wait a minute. I can get on a plane with an overnight bag and make far more than I ever could hanging out with these guys in the band just to play some music. And and that's what it's coming down to. And that's why pop music, especially in the States, has changed so much these days lately. Because you have um, people, especially in the festivals, they're now DJs are, I guess, I was arguing with somebody about it on the internet that Coachella is just a Good big idea. rave now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they pointed out that it was always DJ friendly. And I guess that's true. But now more than ever, you're seeing people who are just DJs or it's just a, a band or an act that's one or two people because there's far less overhead. It's easier to do, and you just kind of bring a laptop with Ableton or a stick. You show up, you do your job, and, and you can head out. The, the overhead's lower. You make more money. It's easier for the record labels and the uh, festivals to kind of organize, and that's why um, these days you're seeing far less rock bands and uh you know, or not even rock bands, but just bands in general, jazz, country, whatever kind of gets you going. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and think about like just the, on the, from the festival production level, 
Yeah. Think of think of dealing with what does it look like? You've got like I went to Lollapalooza, I think like six years ago, and you've got you've got ten really big acts playing on the same stage. Yeah, and they've got probably thirty minutes in between. So so you've got thirty minutes of dead time. Um, and then you've got, uh, all these sound checks, which isn't really desirable for a festival vibe where people just want to go and lounge and hear music. And then they hear clanging drums and testing the snares and tuning the snares. And then, um, I, I don't know if they, now I'm sure that the, the mixing boards are pretty standard with like all the ability to recall settings. I'm sure that the front of house engineer has like a USB stick like DJs do and yeah. they probably stick These it are the settings. The, yeah. But it is, I sorry to cut you off, but it's always funny though when you go to these festivals and the sound check's done, and then you're sitting there for 10 minutes, and it's silent, and then one guy comes out and starts wailing on the guitar. Everybody goes fucking nuts, and then you realize, oh, they're just sound checking another guitar, and it's just one of the roadies. You know what I mean? But like, that, wow. realistically, that's probably going to be the roadie's like, most defining moment in his life. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah, you, maybe you should milk it a little bit Exactly. Longer. I'd be like, uh, I don't know. I better tune this just a little bit more. Give me two more Get minutes. Get the crowd you know? <laughs> a little bit involved, you know? Yeah, but so I think that the promoter, they say, okay, the biggest challenge between uh, switching from one DJ to another is moving the monitor boxes that are on casters. Uh, mm, yeah. to, so, like, I don't want to downplay that uh, DJs don't have a role at the, or that it's just like cheap late, or it's just easy. It's easier to book DJs, so why not book DJs? But there is the reality to that, isn't there? Well, I mean, every, the DJ setups are not very standardized these days. I mean, it's at the moment maybe more standardized than it has been since the late 90s. But, uh, you know, all the time you show up and there's people that want to either use turntables or CDJs or tractor or you name it or it's a live act. And then, like, for me, I need three CDJs. Like, two is unacceptable. And I'm not really diva about much on the road, but, like, I want my setup because... I want to kick ass. You know what I mean? And I, if I'm comfortable, I'm going to have a good show. And, you know, I'll show up and one CDJ will be set up. And they're like, oh, we're going to plug in the other two once this uh, opening DJ moves his shit out of the way. And it's like... It takes a lot out of the first 30 minutes uh, or 20 minutes. Yeah, you know, you can't really get in your flow immediately. Or they're like, well, can you just play with uh, two CDJs instead of three? And it's like... Would you ask a piano player to play with half a piano? I don't think so. You know what I mean? So... Two-thirds. Come on, Dustin. Two thirds of a piano. That's what fifty uh, something keys, something like that. Well, I'm just saying two CDJs versus three CDJs. That'd so be two thirds of your setup. I'm just getting Don't technical here. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, so it, it's you know, there's definitely. I, I equate it to getting to uh, pretend BB King. Um, I think he always played an Epiphone. Pretend BB King didn't bring his own guitar. And that was like an industry standard. Pretend when he got there, it was like uh, an acoustic guitar of some sort. Would BB King still be able to put on a show with that? Absolutely. Like, but why would you, for BB King, if he asked for this type of guitar, there's not that big of a difference between renting an Epiphone guitar and an acoustic guitar. So why would you? pay this money for for bb king to come and then try to skimp on this last little detail of 
of the thing. So that would be the next thing with the DJ booth uh, topic where you, you say, like, I've tried to make the writer as basic as possible. So I can always say, hey, I don't ask much, but please just give me these things. I want to yeah. I, I separate power strip to plug in effects so I'm not getting in the other DJ's way. And it's not I'm not having to if there's something plugged into the power strip, then I'm still like treading very lightly yeah. and trying to it's kind of like you're disarming a bomb while the, the DJ is playing. Totally. I mean, it's um, and and you just don't want to you don't want to ruin the flow either. You don't want to be an asshole about it. You know yeah. what I mean, those things and, cost three euro at IKEA. I yeah, checked. but I mean, it really is annoying. Like, um, for example, let's use someone like Ben Sims, who is known as an incredible turntable DJ, or like not turntable, but mixing wise, he does all the tricks and stuff. His writer, he's got four CDJs and everything. And um, let's say the promoter shows up and he's like, well, can you just play on two? I don't really think he has this problem these days, but this similar scenario happens to other people. And they're like, well, we couldn't get the other two because either A, they're being used on the other stage or they're broken. It's like, well, first of all, you knew where they were broken this morning. It's now two in the morning, which is more than 12 hours later. Uh, second of all, let's see, these CDJs to rent them from some place in town was maybe what 40 bucks a piece so you're looking at an investment of under 100 bucks yet when you bring in a really big name dj that can command thousands of dollars not necessarily well ben but like whoever you're bringing in like you're really going to affect the performance and all the money you spend just because you're not willing to pay the uh whatever 50 80 bucks that it costs to make the necessities in the booth yeah you know, and that that's what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast is uh, what a good DJ booth is comprised of. And it's like, how about you just supply the rider that's asked for? You know what I mean? This is yeah. gear. It's not like you're asking for hookers and blow or something. Or or if you can't fulfill the rider, this is a discussion that uh, that should happen way before the night of the gig. Yeah. I, I had a friend that he, uh, he and his wife split and you're, I was – talking to him and he said like yeah it really came down to like she wanted kids and and i don't and it's like wait you didn't talk about this that would be something that would i would think you would talk about uh as part of the deal of like making this oh uh, yeah making no, totally. this it's like and for that that's the those are the writer is like can you meet these requirements before entering into yeah. this contract and um things go wrong you know sometimes if if there's uh three cdjs there and one of them like starts malfunctioning through the night yeah, it's of course. These, these things, things happen, happen you know and that's not the issue but it's like either a you didn't read the read the writer you didn't take it seriously or you just don't really care um but I've been I've been lucky this year. This I haven't really had many problems. Um, next week I start. I'm gone for the whole month. Uh, every or every weekend the whole month, not touring. People say, "Are you are you touring this weekend?" I'm like, "If I 
if I'm back home on Monday, I I, I don't I can't with yeah. a clear conscience say it's I'm touring. touring yeah. You know. Well, it, it's funny. I was talking to another DJ about it. Like we both found ourselves sitting at the bar on a Friday night not too long ago. And they're like, oh, don't you guys have any gigs this weekend? And we just laughed about it. And you're just like, in the finger quotes, like, no, I, I'm off this weekend. I'm off this weekend. You know, and it's like, <laughs> what that really translates to is nobody would book me. <laughs> and uh, I we, took the month off to yeah, work on the on, exactly, studio. Like, you, know? you know, oh, if it's a slow month, it's, oh, I'm taking time off to work in the studio. And it's like... Well, you didn't deliberately do that, but apparently that's what you need to be doing. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. I mean, I mean, for for someone like uh, Chris Liebing or Ben Clark, they have or, to. Yeah, yeah. They, it, when you know? they are taking time off for the studio, they they really are doing it. Yeah. We're just trying to we're just trying to claw our way to that same level, and so we we tend to find ourselves talking kind of like uh, we're living the life that they're, <laughs> that they're living. Yeah, well, I'm off this month for. Mm, they're like, how many albums are you working on, Kyle? You know, you've been. Yeah. On- <laughs> you got about ten albums ready. Yeah, man, I've been taking a lot of time off to work on a lot. I'm gonna have a lot of posthumous albums, but the thing is, is like, for example, February for me, for whatever reason, is a bit slower than than usual. And uh, February is usually the time I start to think maybe I should update my uh, yeah. resume. <laughs> exactly, you start questioning, like maybe it's time to uh, turn it all in and just go back and get a job. But, you know, so on one hand, I would sit there and be like, oh, man, um, I'm so pissed because, I, you know, I enjoy playing. It's not just about getting out and, and paying the bills, but, like, I I get the buzz from getting out. And if I don't have anything to look forward to when the weekend comes, it's just kind of like, yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, so I get a little frustrated if I'm not playing. But then at the same time, you when you are fortunate enough to have a good role and you're playing a lot and you're like, um, I'm either a ignoring my girlfriend, or I'm not taking care of my health, or whatever, uh, or I'm not making music or something. You start to realize, like, you have to learn that when you get this time off, whether you chose it or not, you have to learn to see the positive side about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I mean, you could even put that into you could justify that when you're in a, at a normal job. I remember during the housing bubble, I got laid off, and I was like. Like everybody, you're desperate because you're like, well, now I'm on unemployment. I have no money and no options at the moment. And, uh, you know, I tried to look at the good side. It's like, well, all this stuff that I talked about doing, now I can do it. And, I, well, I mean, I guess at that time it was every, it was interesting back then with the housing bubble because all of my friends got laid off at once. So it was kind of like summer got extended. You know what I mean? From after August and September, like October, and November, like, yeah, we're on, we're on unemployment. Let's go to the movies at midnight <laughs> to catch the new whatever. And then after about a month, when the reality sets in that it's like not a vacation from school, like summer, you're like, oh, this sucks. Uh, life has changed. None of us have jobs or money now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's for for me personally, it's a lot of times more about uh, it's more about co- the confidence you lose than the money you lose. Big like, time, you start questioning and, yourself. And I'm a big football soccer fan, and you see it all the time with uh, different players where maybe they go to a big team. And they they have a bad falling out with the manager, and then they're sitting on the bench. And then when they go to play for their country, um, they really just you can tell that they're just out of rhythm. And sometimes you 
all it takes is just to get that that flow back where you 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 they transfer and then they go to another manager and they're playing maybe it's not even on as good of a team but yeah. they're getting the regular minutes and there's something about having those regular minutes where you just it it's almost like muscle memory um where also like with when you're not actively playing if you have say a month off, a month off, off yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're not as motivated to go through promo music. You're not no. as motivated to go shop for records or shop online for music, in my case. You're like, not in the uh, flow. It's like hitting the gym. You're either with it or you're not. Yeah, and so you you end up kind of the, the first gig back uh, after time off is always a little bit – it's a little bit interesting, you know, like mm -hmm. where you – you obviously remember how to DJ, but you kind of you you've lost that. Uh... You got to loosen up a little bit. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean that it's definitely uh definitely happens. Or like even if you if you genuinely do take off, like because it's let's say Christmas or something, and there's two or three weeks where you just don't have time to answer emails, make music, play music, whatever, and then you get that New Year's gig, and you're like, oh crap, I I was busy with the holidays and the family for three weeks. Uh, but you know, new year's is kind of a big night. So, uh, it's this weird kind of like, I'm not really prepared of sorts. You know what I mean? And it, it's that kind of uncomfort, uh, that tightness. And yeah, I, I usually solve that with like a couple shots immediately. And then you got to <laughs> pick like a couple records that are just like your favorite ones and start right off the bat and then it's all right. But it is a little weird at first, yeah. but then, once you get like a couple gigs in, three gigs in, you're just like, I'm in it. This is, I'm digging this. How do surgeons come back from not the artist surgeon, but like really critical or pilots or something? That, like, how do you get back into the rhythm of, of doing this after you've been on? I mean, especially in Europe, you have five weeks vacation time, and Europeans tend to like taking them all at once instead mm -hmm. of one week here and there. What if you were like, how do you, so how do you get back, how question. do you get back in the cockpit? They're like, I just do a couple shots, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and then after, I mean, the, the first takeoff's always really scary, but then after that, I'm fine after those shots really kick in. You're like, oh, okay, I just won't fly anymore. Yeah, know? I think that was uh, what Denzel Washington did in flight. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that movie was terrible, by the way. John Goodman was a badass, so, but when is he not? I, I can't remember all of it, but I just remember thinking it's one of those movies where you almost start to think that they had footage in the previews that wasn't even in the movie uh, where you're like, I, the preview looked sweet for this yeah. movie. And then I saw the movie and I thought maybe if it was if the movie was as long as the preview, then it would have been better. I don't know. And it's not a. I I thought it was based on a true story, and it's not. It's well, I think we would have heard about it, but I kind of was under the impression it was too. But and the, you know, the other thing is, is when the hell did movies get so long? I've been trying to. I have some movies uh, that I've gotten recently, and I've just been kind of saving them for the right time. And it seems like every movie is two hours and fifteen minutes, two hours and forty minutes, blah 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 blah. And I get that people binge watch TV shows now. But those are separated. I don't really have time for a two and a half hour movie these days. Like, uh, let's do an hour and a half, two hours max. We don't need to make a, a you know big agenda out of this. It doesn't have to take up the whole night. 
Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's also, it's, uh, it indic- it's, it's the same thing in, in what we do where it used to be, you know, if you were a DJ, you were a DJ. If you were a producer, you were a producer. If you wanted to overlap the two, fine, but you didn't have to necessarily. And then it became pretty standard. Like if you wanted a prayer of ever DJing at a party, you had to produce. And then it's like, now producing's not quite enough. Okay, well, you need to do a podcast, you know? No. Now you need to do remixes for, for blah, blah, blah. And, and it becomes this overwhelming thing. I mean, can you imagine the actors that used to do a movie once every one or two years? And now they're seeing... I mean, TV shows used to have a very clear, uh, a very different DNA than movies did, production-wise. Oh, yeah. And nowadays, you... Can you imagine being a big screen actor and watching Breaking Bad and you're like, this is, these people have put together five sequential 12 hour movies that are better than any movie that I've ever acted in that we've taken two years to film two, two hours of, you know, totally things are changing, man. And it's the same thing that's happening with these actors and actresses is happening understandably on a different level here in music. Because you have a lot of these bigger artists who grew up in the era that kind of we did in the 80s and 90s where you're, the idea of success is big labels, big releases. You do one hit a year, blah, blah, blah. You know, this kind of like grandiose uh, release plan. And um, that has kind of gone out the window. It's now more boutique and smaller and like you can focus it more across various things. And I, I have friends personally that came from that era that they're kind of struggling with accepting the fact that you don't need to have this uh, big, uh, well, in terms of movies, it'd be like the big blockbuster movie. It's like you could actually step down to TV and do a really amazing TV series. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, so I'm trying to convince some of these guys that I'm like, just do a small uh, new label, like with this cool shit, it doesn't have to be hits, and like you will have what you've been looking for, help fill your schedule up again. And they kind of refuse to do it because they're stuck in that realm. But that's you know things are changing. Well, yeah, and, that, and that's really like that's the that's the the death race that is techno for for me is it's really the it, what was that movie, Never Ending Story. Where, uh, what, what happened where if you lost your, ah, so cheesy, but they, the guy, they're running through the gates yeah. and it's like, you, you just have to like basically keep your, keep your confidence and keep composed and, uh, you'll, you'll pat, they'll let you pass through. But the second that you kind of become jaded about the way things have become or the way things used to be so much better, blah, 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 you've kind of lost the, the plot. And there's, the there's, tons of, there's tons of things that if I was the, the king of the techno universe, which no one is, um, maybe I would prefer them to be different. But ultimately, the reality that i get to be a a contributor and be able to do this full time at least for now the the stupid things that i have to deal with maybe maybe i wish that podcasts weren't so important or that big labels weren't so important Whatever blah blah blah, be, blah. Yeah. like 
the reality of it is, is that if you DJ every weekend at a club, even at a very, even as a like lower tier artist, let's say like, you're making a hundred bucks, even as yeah, a local. I mean like. That's still a pretty cool deal. Yeah, totally. And and there's gonna be times where you it is a popularity contest. There people it's like do high have, school all yeah, over again. Yeah, yeah. And so you you have to look beyond that and say, yeah, it's this. But you have to look beyond that and say, no matter what job I work in, I'm gonna have to deal with bullshit. No. And I've worked enough jobs outside of techno to where I'm like. Yeah, bullshit exists in every job. Politics, oh, yeah. politics exists in every job. Um, this is always a funny thing when people are like, "Oh, the the techno scene's so political." It's like, yeah, that's how the that's how life works. You know, yeah. like I've never seen somebody get promoted who was the least liked at by their boss. You know, like oh, I mean, and, office politics are just as bad, if not worse. Yeah, you know, and they and have it's, it's even more personal because you're dealing with uh, oftentimes. 10 to 15 people and not, uh, you know, 60,000 strangers on Facebook or something. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. That's, it's going to happen everywhere. Um, yeah, it's inescapable. So you might as well do something, deal with, deal with the stupid shit in uh, something that you love instead of you're, because I promise you, once you get outside of those things that you're really passionate about, you're, you're not going to escape the dumb things you're just going to escape the things that you're passionate about, you know? So totally. Well, we've established that we're in a pretty lucky position right now. I think so. It's, uh, it's getting a little late in the podcast, so I think I'm going to wrap it up pretty soon here. Um, is there anything you want to plug for upcoming dates or releases? Uh, no, I, uh, I just moved studios, so I've just now gotten my studio back set up, and I have to remember how to produce music again. Um, I've got a couple releases coming on my own label, uh, Kubera, and those will be out in the next months, but uh, kind of starting starting fresh with the studio work, and I've been, it's a good problem to have. I've been a lot busier uh, DJing in the last year than I ever have been. So that's been a lot of fun and I'm trying to still establish a balance between traveling and actually coming back Monday and going straight to the studio. So, yeah. Excellent. But, uh, you said you have a busy month coming up. Do you remember those dates offhand or not really? Yeah, I'm, I'm playing at, uh, MTV Club uh, in Offenbach. Frankfurt. I did that last month. It was really yeah. nice. It's really it's, it's really good. Uh, I was I was actually pleasantly surprised, and the promoter just told me they added two new bass bins. Yeah, I it actually shook the uh, equipment all over the tables. So fantastic. Um, yeah, no, I was really happy because the two times I played there previously were um, or one of the two times uh, was really bad. Uh, there was like maybe thirty people, and I, I lost. I got ripped off, but uh, then when I went back, the place was full. The sound system was great. The energy was really nice. So you're gonna have a great time there. Yeah. Cool. Um, what else? What else you got coming up? I've got uh, Lehman Club in the middle of the month. I'm playing at uh, this club. It used to be called Unzish Bar. Yeah, uh, and that's now also it's, a great gig. It's also it's changed 
names because of various and venues now. And it's different venue now. Well, it's the same building, but they moved it because uh, you know it looks like that elongated branch sort of building. Yeah, it's just over to the right. Is it is it smaller, bigger? It's it's now bigger. Um, is there still the bunker downstairs? They, well, they have two rooms. Um, so the uh, the smallest room would be about the size of what you would have considered the main room before. Okay. Uh, so it's it's effectively doubled in size. Uh, I know they were building it when I was there last in October. I'm, I'm thinking it's open by now. But, okay. Uh, yeah, and so I'll play there at the end of the month. And then uh, next weekend I play uh, 12 hours in Utrecht at uh, Puma 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 Club. Um, yeah, 12 hours. So – Wow. That will. That's a solid schedule. I'm jealous of that. All those gigs are a lot of fun. Yeah. So, yeah. And then Augsburg before Lehman Club. And yeah, this is, this is honestly the first time that I've not been able to remember exactly which gigs that I'm playing. So that's a good sign. That's, that's awesome. That's a good sign to have. So, 